Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast series from Way to Blue. Each episode will meet with a different guest to explore the stories that matter to them, stories that inspire them, and stories they want the world to hear about. Can't quite hear you. One second. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I certainly can. Can you hear me? You losing me? Hello? Test, test. All good. Yeah, all good. I can hear I can hear As a group of people obsessed with storytelling, it's no surprise that for some time Waiter Blue has been fascinated by the power of games to tell stories, as the lines between Hollywood blockbusters and AAA games continues to blur, as independent game developers use gaming to tell stories we'd never hear in other mediums, or as platforms like Dreams turn game developing into a new democratic medium for storytelling, we want to know more. In this episode of Stories That Matter, we want to explore storytelling from different perspectives in the games industry. The people that make games, make the technology, and those who write about the games industry. My name's Guy Cocker. I'm a video games technology journalist and consultant, and I've edited the likes of uh, CNET UK, GameSpot UK, and Stuff Magazine. I'm Ben Williams. I'm the Gaming Business Development Manager for Lenovo in Australia and New Zealand. And I've been in the games industry for, it's now 20 years in Australia. I'm Millicent. I am a freelance journalist in film and games. I've written for places like Games Radar, Little White Lies, uh, Dazed, Sci-Fi Now. My name is Greg Street. My official title is VP of IP and Entertainment at Riot Games. My team kind of does two things. We think about ourselves as the air traffic control for all of the stories going on in, in the League of Legends universe. League of Legends is our, our big game. And we have a second game out now that also takes place in the universe. We also try to tell stories in the universe outside of games because League of Legends is a multiplayer game. We don't want story to interfere too much with the the, the competition among players. So we do we end up doing a lot of storytelling around the game through comic books, short stories, music, all, you know, hopefully soon TV and, and things like that. My first interaction with gaming was a Space Invaders arcade cabinet that weirdly a friend of my sister's had bought secondhand. Maybe it's just me, but as a kid, I remember thinking, why are they attacking us? Are we the good guys or are we the bad guys? From this first games experience, I always looked for narrative storytelling in games. My mind always filled in the gaps. Am I alone in thinking this? Have games always been about storytelling? Here's Right Games' Greg Street. I'm going to take the position that it's always been a storytelling platform. We were just very limited by the technology and what kind of stories we could tell. It's not unlike cinema, which had to start out with like very short, very grainy, black and white movies with no voice and gradually it got to the you know the the films we appreciate today similarly as hardware is improved as software is improved we're able to create more immersive worlds have higher production values hire big name voice actors and tell stories in a more direct way you can still make a game today with a very almost abstract story that it helps to set the tone of the game but there's no overt introduction or characters or anything like that it's more of just a setting here's guy cocker maybe donkey kong the early mario games in the early 80s had a story but that 
they would they would essentially give you a setup like you've got to save the princess from the castle from the from the giant monkey or, or whatever it would be and that was just a setup to kind of give you a construct as to why why you're playing this you know mustachio plumber but it wouldn't be you wouldn't be playing it to 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 be taken on a journey or to understand you know a traditional sort of hero's journey style narrative as you would in films and and books and and theater or anything else but it would it would just be a, a mechanic to just give you some sort of context as to as to why you were playing this game if you were going to look at the history of the medium you would have to say that someone like Shigeru Miyamoto I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people know who Shigeru Miyamoto is but he 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 is revered in the industry because he did have that foresight to go to go we need to we need to give the player some sort of some sort of story even even as lightweight as you've got to save the say the princess or attack the monkey or avoid the barrels before that it was all about pong and space war you were just dropped in without any context and that worked because those games were so simple you could understand you'd you would just control a bat and there was a ball when it was essentially tennis you could understand that but once once games started to introduce these sort of these ideas that that might not be able to be understood to an 80s audience who weren't into video games or understood the medium at all uh, Miyamoto had the foresight to sort of go yeah we need to we need to add some sort of narrative to this Lenovo's Ben Williams reminisces on the early days of gaming when narrative and story were only hinted at often by the box art I just remember extrapolating so much meaning out of the Atari game covers that were these gorgeously sort of created pieces of art that resembled nothing that was going on on the screen. But you could then start to go, right, and berserk. Who's this guy with a like a gun strapped to his arm and like a Tron helmet and these weird sort of blocky robots? What's the go? Like, why is he even there? Is it some sort of arena? Like, what's happening? So a lot of the story in the early days for, for sort of a lot of the mainstream games was what you came up with yourself rather than sort of put in front of you by the game other than those bits of art. And it's... I mean, it's very exciting that we've been able to expand that. So it's never gone away that that skill and sort of engagement in in the game, interact interactiveness of gaming is always fun in its own right. And there's plenty of games that are fun only because of that. Like think of Tetris and stuff like that. like that only exists as a fun. Like you don't need. There's no story there. Like it's blocks, right? But that doesn't take away from it being one of the most entertaining games of all time. But Having that sort of ground level of, of game quality interactiveness allows you to then go, right, well, I've now got this baseline of what can be done and turn that into, into a storytelling device. And it's really exciting that yeah, because of the, the steps that the gaming took over the years as that sort of entertainment form, that there's enough revenue in it for people to pay writers. It's really interesting, like if you want to tell a big story-based game, it seems like there's kind of two tracks to take. One is we are going to give you like chapters of story where, which are largely non-interactive and then let you go play a little bit. So a lot of the, you know, the Uncharted games would follow this. We'll have a, a cutscene, a beautiful cutscene with top acting, and then you get to shoot a bunch of bad guys, explore a temple, and then there'll be another scene. And a lot of games kind of follow that route, even like the most recent God of War, which is which is a brilliant game, has a lot of that kind of feel. The other way is you try to make something really, really immersive where you're always in the game. We're not gonna, gonna pull you out a lot. Even Red Dead Redemption 2, which again, I love that game, 
doesn't stop the action a lot. They do have some cut scenes, but for the most part, they kind of try to tell you the story as you're doing other things. Um, a friend or an NPC may be talking to you. If you just want to wander off, you can, because you have freedom there. To understand how storytelling in games has evolved, we need to explore the key landmark titles that have moved the medium on. We'll come on to discuss the likes of Skyrim, The Last of Us, and even Dark Souls, but first, a game called Bioshock. Released in 2007, Bioshock was a first-person shooter that blended action and combat, but wrapped it in a narrative that incorporated ideas by 20th century dystopian and utopian thinkers, such as Ayn Rand, George Orwell, and Otis Huxley. A lot of the stories that, and, and the storytelling that, that I found really engaging haven't necessarily been groundbreaking stories, but they've been implemented really interestingly. So, for instance, like Bioshock, right, and, and Ken Levine, um, that's, while it's, I'm sure it's been written 17,000 times and there's probably 18 movies about it, using that storytelling and, and that high-quality sort of narrative and putting you into a world that's so immersive in a way that can't be done any other way because of the interactiveness of it. And then, I mean, particularly for Bioshock, taking away that interactiveness at a key critical story moment. The story itself is, is, is not anything revolutionary, but the way it's implemented is just makes it so much more powerful. I'll never forget uh, taking that one home on a Friday afternoon after work and i don't recall sleeping or eating, but I do recall finishing it on Sunday night. Bioshock, 100%. That, that trilogy is just, I, I think I played them in a weird order. I played Bioshock 2, and then I played Bioshock Infinite, and then I played the first one. But I just think the kind of the levels in that game of like, the, the levels of storytelling and the kind of philosophy and ethics behind it was so fascinating. And I, it was that time that I was like, games can do this like this is a thing that can be done with this medium that i did not expect and i find myself wanting to revisit that world all the time which i think is a testament to that as a trilogy at the time of recording the gaming world has just got its first glimpse of the new trailer for the next iteration of the assassin's creed franchise also first released in 2007 but developed by ubisoft montreal by Patrice Desley. Each of the nine or so games since have placed the player in a faithful recreation of a key part of our history, from ancient Egypt to the American Revolution. Patrice Desley took history lessons and turned that into a really clever, like it took a really clever twist to turn that into a story. It's history stories about uh, stuff that actually happened, putting a sci-fi bent on it, and, and then on paper it looks normal, but the way that you interact with that and the way that they built it so that those history lessons become an interactive experience and the way that Patrice sort of dreamed that up to, to create that as, as a world is amazing. Like uh, the, that's the, the kind of, again, like that, that really stems from the fact that as video games become so mature and such a, a money-making exercise, people can invest in, in doing that level, like having that level of writing and narrative that the rest of the game sort of supports around that, which is, which is fantastic. And, and even like Amy Hennig with, again, with things like, things like Uncharted, like they're basically Indiana Jones they're, they're, and Tomb Raider's done it before, but just combine the, the just flawless writing with stunning 
interactiveness and, and it and it turns it from like essentially Tomb Raider had literally done that exact story before, but the the right the narrative writing and the storytelling writing combined with the interactiveness and the set pieces and the, the cinematography and, and those sort of meshing of the cinema and, and gaming worlds together. Another landmark game that places such an onus on storytelling is The Witcher, a game that places a massive commitment to realism and world building. You've got this vast world that feels lived in, that feels completely real. And, you know, the player has the choice whether to continue straight with this narrative that they got set out for you, which is amazing. And also it's amazing that you have that choice. You know, you can just like swerve off into side quests and exploration for like a hundred hours before you even decide to go to the main story. And I think there's something to be said about the skill that takes that it never gets boring and nothing is the same. And I think when I first heard about The Witcher 3, I was literally recommended it by like a family friend. And he said to me, he was like, his hair even grows. <laughs> he was like, the days are real and you can like go to the hairdressers and cut Geralt's hair. And I was like, what? Like his hair grows in the game the longer you play it? Like something like details like that, that make it feel like real, like you have kind of agency, you're a real person that's living in this world is what makes it so kind of immersive and exciting. And I think open worlds have that level of detail and also the level of choice is there. So it's like that balance of it feeling real and like you have a story, but having so much choice and openness literally to do whatever you want. So in Assassin's Creed Odyssey right now, for the past week, I've just been avoiding the story. <laughs> I'm just doing whatever I want. I'm going ahead to islands I should not be going to yet. And I'm exploring things and doing all these little quests and I'm enjoying that more than anything. And that's the amazing power of games as storytelling platforms. It isn't just about the simple overarching narrative, the hero's journey, good versus bad. Stories can be told through environments and pieced together through exploration. And in the case of Rockstar Games' Grand Theft Auto, storytelling can even be done through radio stations. I, I really like the Grand Theft Auto series. I've, I'm only just starting Red Dead Redemption, but I've always liked how the Hauser brothers and, and their massive teams at Rockstar do storytelling, not just through the dialogue, but through the world as well. So you have radio stations and billboards, and they're all very, I think, very funny, but that, that's how the story is conveyed, not just through the dialogue, but through the actual world itself. I point to like the Dark Souls series from the From Software games that do a tremendous amount of environmental storytelling in a very subtle way. Like they don't give you an introduction, they throw you into the game, they don't tell you anything about the world. You find out by bits and pieces, like you find a, a new item and the text description of the item starts to give you a little bit of a taste of the world. So I think those are you masterful environmental storytelling with very little dialogue, very little pop-up text. I love Horizon Zero Dawn as I think one of my favorite games. It does such a good job of melding an interesting character with an interesting world, but still has really good combat. Like, you know, I'm a game designer. I love combat that feels fun and gives me interesting choices. And I think a lot of story-based games skimp on that aspect. So they like tell you a good story and then kind of give you this pedestrian gameplay to just kind of get to the next story bit. And I think Horizon did a really good job of having both sides be really compelling. At the time of recording, we are weeks away from the release of the sequel to perhaps the best example of gaming as a storytelling medium, 
The Last of Us was released in 2013 by developer Naughty Dog and follows a man called Joel and a girl called Ellie as they survive in a post-apocalyptic world. The Last of Us really blew everything wide open for me when I first played it. Things that they do in that game to make you identify with Joel and Ellie's journey and how their relationship evolves over the entirety of the game is literally astounding. I became so obsessed I wanted to like, consume everything related to the game and I was on YouTube watching analysis videos and everything and there was this guy who did this 30 minute long almost like video essay called How the Last of Us Changed My Life and he literally pointed out all of these things and at the end of it he literally said the game made me realize that I want a daughter and I was like whoa the power that that has because he pointed out things such as optional conversations, for example. So you could be walking along with um, Ellie, who's an NPC for most of the game, and uh, like a triangle will appear, and the player can choose to just carry on with what they were doing, or press the triangle, and the players will talk to each other. Um, and it'll be something that's not part of the story, but it's an added thing that tells you more about them. So if you look away for too long and then turn around, Ellie's actually doing something herself. She's playing darts on the dartboard in an abandoned house that you didn't see. And it's not part of the story, but it's these quirks and these optional moments that you can discover just by putting more time into what you're doing that tell you more about these characters and their relationship, which I think is really exciting. The Last of Us, they really moved into a new, onto an, into a new echelon of narrative storytelling and get and amazing gameplay as well but those two things melding to the point where they really felt they felt cohesive so it, it has one of the best storylines in a game i've ever encountered it just has this incredible world and characters and plot twists and it's i mean it's, it has just been optioned i believe by hbo for a, for a tv series as well it doesn't do anything particularly new in terms of, it's a post-apocalyptic world with essentially zombies or although a sort of mutated version of zombies but you know each 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 character has a different way of adapting in in the gameplay sense to to fighting off these zombies and also you know you, you as the as the story progresses it goes in some really interesting directions the the choices that you have the other the, the the things you have to do as a player are really genuinely sort of heart-wrenching and it's just a it's a sublime example of, of storytelling and i think probably the, the best storyline of a game that i've personally played one thing that games offer over other mediums is the ability to offer choice decision making and perhaps even exploring the morality of the player skyrim was released in 2017 and is a fantasy action role-playing game that takes place in a vast open world you play as a character that's you know sort of human with dragon dragon blood and you there is a story that the creators um have have, have set out that you experience but it's up to you how and sort of when you experience those story beats and you can just go off and do loads of side quests and 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 that was i mean i think that came out in sort of 2011 i feel like that's probably been one of the most influential games of the last 10 years because it has it has really influenced on like sort of branching storylines so it's not it's not a branching storyline in 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 the truest sense because you're still following that that single line narrative but you can go off and do these side quests and you could pretty much choose to not engage in the in the storyline for for tens if not hundreds of hours in that game i feel like when you're playing a game and you are offered to do kind of awful things you kind of want to do them it offers a space for you to do th- to do anything, literally anything. And I think that's what's 
so interesting about it because they're not saying that if you decide to do this bad thing, you are a bad person. They're saying that you have that choice, whether you pick the good or the bad or the gray. And I think that is the very human side of it because in real life, we also have that choice. When you read a book or you see a movie, you don't have anything like that. And that's what's so interesting about gaming and also what's so frustrating about when people dismiss it. You know, gaming feels, a lot of people feel like it's a lesser form of entertainment. But what other form of entertainment challenges you in such a way that you are looking at your own morality and your own ethics and and what other mediums ask you to look at yourself like that i think if you look at where ai is moving next you could at the moment when you play as the character in um life is strange which is an excellent game if um if your listeners haven't um, experienced it you have a set number of sort of dialogue choices that you can take as the main character and then the 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 intelligence of the game designer is that they've then had to go through and program each each answer that you each question that you compose the game has to give you an answer and that's that's very clever but sort of the next evolution of that might be that that ai may become sophisticated enough for you to be able to type or say anything and then the game will have to react to that rather than it being preset so i think that storytelling is going to go in some interesting um areas and i think i think that was i'm slightly riffing on Genova chen there who's made some of my favorite games like journey and flower and he sort of said that's that's one of the areas that storytelling in video games could go into once ai and perhaps even virtual reality become advanced enough as well the blurring of the lines between the still hugely entertaining but ultimately linear passive experience of film and tv and the interactive, immersive experience of games is best exemplified by two games developers. The first is Studio Quantic Dream, who have created games such as Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls, stories that aren't really games and aren't really films, but something else, something new, stories that the player's choices and actions influence and create a truly unique narrative for you. No one has the same story. Uh, everyone's got a completely different version of that story. and. That I find unique because, I mean, I used to play Choose Your Own Adventure books back in the day, Lone Wolf and, and the like, and it, while it is a version of that, it, it's, it's like nothing else in that you have literally cut, carved out a piece of content that almost no one else will get, and, uh, and it's yours, and, and that's the one that you're having. And you, you even have that in a lot of the big RPGs where you have so many choices. I, I remember so many water cooler moments back in like the early 2000s around Dragon Ages and things like that where they'd come out and then the next day you come into work and you're going, well, I did this with this character and then, oh, hang on, what happened when you did that? And, and they, this is how they reacted because that happened. And I mean, I remember those kind of conversations happening when I was five, like uh, with, with other kids who had games. Oh, what happened when Mario did this? And when Lion King sort of jumped over there and uh, look, look at Sonic did this or like what have you. So it just the fact that you can have those unique stories that only you create, even if you're all playing the same game, but the more you lean into that with the, like those Quantic Dream games, uh, I just find amazing. That was Ben Williams. The second developer who have been a true innovator in gaming storytelling is Telltale Games. Telltale established itself to focus on adventure games using a novel episodic release schedule, a bit like chapters from a book. Its greatest successes were games that used intellectual properties such as Batman, Back to the Future, 
and The Walking Dead. The first series, first season of The Walking Dead, I was, I think, in my memory, it sort of landed at the same time as uh, The Walking Dead TV shows, maybe second or third series. I hadn't read the comic book and I hadn't, I'd, I'd enjoyed the TV show, but it wasn't like, I didn't think it was the best TV show ever. But it, the, the game told an incredible story and, and gave you such a connection to this young female character which in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that I hadn't really experienced with a game before. But it gave you these choices through the game uh, that would be that would seem quite inconsequential but would have major impacts on how that chapter would play out there was something about the 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 setting of the walking dead and just the relationship between these two characters one was a sort of you know middle-aged man who and and, um, and a young girl that made it just so much more affecting i think and and that really sticks in my mind as a sort of a new era in in games and storytelling and it i, th- I believe a lot of the, the people that made it sort of had moved on from sort of the ashes of of lucas arts and so were involved in the sort of lucas family of, co- of companies and, and they've done obviously a lot of amazing things in um in games and movies in general and i think you could really tell that, that was a that was a company that was sort of pushing the envelope and they've gone on to do some some really good games in the batman series and the borderland series that have this same idea of just great storytelling great dialogue but you know making choices through them Riot Games was founded in September 2006 by University of Southern California roommates Brandon Beck and Mark Merrill. Riot Games is best known for League of Legends, a multiplayer online battle arena game which launched in 2009. Here's Greg Street from Riot Games. Early on, we did not take stories seriously at all. It was almost a genre matchup of let's just take any kind of character we can you know, without outright stealing it, but if we want to have a, a northern barbarian and kind of a Spartan warrior together, that's fine. Just whatever you think of. We have a little girl with a teddy bear. Throw them all in. As players spent more time with these characters, and League of Legends players can spend a tremendous amount of time with these characters, they started asking more. Like, what they want to know a little bit more about the characters. What is their interaction? Maybe there's a, a, a throwaway line that one champion says to another one, and players start to ask, oh, I want to know more about that. Is there a history here? Do these characters know each other? And so then we realized, you know, we're sitting on something with pretty big potential here. We have a, a large world. We have a lot of characters and, and an audience that wants to know more. So then we entered kind of what I think of as phase two of our storytelling, where we were almost scared that we were going to screw it up. Like we were so precious about it that we did very little storytelling because we didn't want to ruin anything. So it was very low-key, very subtle. And now I think we're, we're emerging into what I think of as phase three, where we've got a little more confidence, we're willing to take some more risks, and we're going to tell a lot of stories about the characters. The reason we are making a television show is because we figure like that's the best medium to tell stories about these characters out of a game completely. Traditionally, when we were making a new champion for League of Legends, that's how we've introduced the majority of our world, it's a very tight coordination between the game designer the artist and the the writer who's going to end up like describing who this character is and ultimately writing their voice lines, which is, a, you know, the way you really get to know kind of their personality and what they're all about. And then those three work really closely together. And I think in our best champions, they echo each other. So you might have the art of the champion, you know, this character is is noble and brave. And so you want the voice lines to echo that and the gameplay to echo that as well. And 
in terms of storytelling, I think we do the best when we create mysteries that then players want to solve. And, you know, we ask, we want to throw out little tantalizing bits. They're like, oh, what does that mean? I want to know more. Why do these two characters seem to have this fierce rivalry? What, what happened to cause that? And, you know, and how is it going to end? And do they want to kill each other? Or are they just competitors? And hopefully that drives them to seek out these answers outside of the game itself. I think with the gamers, what we try to do is set up almost like an interesting playground. Think of like of a, a skateboard park where then they can demonstrate how skilled they are. If the skateboard park is too simple, if it's just like an empty swimming pool, they can do some tricks. But if you set up some really interesting layouts, they can do fancier and fancier things and really demonstrate their skills. And those seem to be the moments that fans really get excited about when they see someone do something that seems almost inhuman or they see someone come from behind. That, you know, those are the stories you tell. You generally don't talk about a sporting match where like, yeah, there were two teams, they were about evenly matched and it wasn't very exciting. You know, you, you want to talk about the big upsets or the, the big stomps or the, the surprises. And so we try to set up an environment where that can happen organically. We can't, you know, we, in those cases, we're not directing the action. We have no control over it. It's whatever the players are going to do. But by setting up these interesting situations and big plays, hopefully, you know, that'll pay off. Of course, there's a whole other area of gaming where the stories aren't about a controlled narrative with you playing the hero. Online multiplayer allows a new type of meta-narrative where you are the hero. And the stories created are made for social sharing. We're, we're now heavily pushed by technology to create stories out of whatever happens. So if something really cool, say we're playing Fortnite and something amazing happens that neither of us have seen before, chances are the uh, computer or the games console that we're playing on will allow us to clip that and post it to Twitch or to YouTube or whatever platform you want, or just share it via social media with your friends. And, and that for a lot of people now in a, in a world, and especially for, for, for kids and for, and for people who are perhaps younger than I am, that's more important to them because as a, as a narrative because that is something that's happened to them and it's happened socially and it's it it can make for really compelling footage so i think that it's telling that the games that have done really well in the last few years so some minecraft and fortnite don't really have a traditional story fortnite has had events in the game where you know they when they've technically had to reset the servers or to, to to upgrade the game engine they've had an end world event where everything's ended and there are so many players on that game that that's excuse me, that's made the, that's made BBC news. That's such a big event. And they've had uh, a number of, they've had a number of what you call like gigs in the game from famous American uh, music artists, but there's no real, there's no real story. And those games have become the most popular games in terms of player count at, at the moment. I'd only got into multiplayer quite recently because for me, at least the past five or six years or so gaming has been very much like a solitary kind of hobby that I do by myself and I enjoy these single player stories and adventures and it was like for me and only the past few years I've got into kind of playing with friends on those kind of multiplayer games especially Overwatch the multiplayer thing comes down to making gaming a social activity I guess so it's especially now and in lockdown it's somewhere where you can meet up with friends and you can play these games together that are kind of like short like matches rather than like um, overarching plots that you have to keep coming back to. You can just log on, you can join your friends and chat over party and be like, hey, let's team up for this like arcade mode thing and we'll capture the flag. And it's colorful, it's bright, it's quick, but you're getting to spend time with your friends 
And I think that's been really important. And that's a whole other avenue to gaming where it is still storytelling because, you know, some of these multiplayer games have a whole lore behind them, which is really exciting. But, you know, it becomes a kind of just something to do, an activity that's socially connecting people, which is another amazing thing that can be brought from the storytelling aspects of gaming, I think. We, we recently worked with the, the guys from SMG Studio and Team 17 to demo Moving Out, which is a game literally about a ridiculous removalist company. And it's really basic. You're picking up furniture and you're throwing it into the truck in whatever way and shape form you, you can have. And because it's all physics-based and, and there's no right way to do it, everyone has a different story. So you four of you play together and then you go bananas and, and you finish and then you all sit back and you have a drink of your beer or your wine and you go, man, how crazy was it when that happened or when the ghost came out or when I threw the, the, the chair out of the second floor window. So you you're get the opportunity to create your own stories with those tools. We really do think of, of League of Legends as a team game. And so we take inspiration from things like, you know, like football where the story should be about your role on the team and how you play, you know, you did a clutch move that helped your team win. And then the story of the teams against each other, like, oh, your team was down, but then you did something really clever and now you're back up and now you're in charge. We want the game world to kind of fade into the background there. Particularly when we get to the professional level with esports, we really want the story to be about the actual players and their rise from obscurity and now they're the best, you know, best at playing this character in the world and they're going to go to worlds and and, um, that should be the story, not so much about the, you know, the fictional world we've created. Later this year, the next generation of games consoles will be released, offering huge increases in graphical power, and PCs are continuing to obey Moore's law in power and performance. It's an exciting time to be a gamer, but does more powerful technology offer more powerful storytelling experiences? Yeah, definitely, and I think to have higher polish on the stories we do tell, because you can have a character emote, which is very hard when you can't animate the face. You can convey a lot of information by the character's reaction. You can, if you have a big budget, you can hire better actors and that really does pay dividends because the actors can really carry the, you know, the story and really make you feel for them. But all of that comes with kind of more work for the game teams. Like someone has to animate all the beautiful facial animation. Someone has to direct all of these really high caliber voice actors. If you have this very immersive world, like at the end of the day, every tree and rock and piece of lichen, like someone is, is making that. So in some ways, the huge content demands for these games can push developers in the other direction. And we have this really vibrant indie scene right now of generally lower budget games where the, you know, the team has to take the opposite approach. They can't have this super hyper detailed worlds. They go for a very stylized world that then still conveys emotion in a really powerful way. You feel a certain way, you feel hope or despair or excitement or fear, but it has to be conveyed very subtly because they can't, they don't have the whole gigantic panorama of, of landscapes to, to tell their stories. One of the things that, that I'm always excited about every year, because I've been a gamer my whole life, is how mainstream gaming becomes year after year after year. And so the technology allows people to not feel like they're playing a game. They feel like they're just dropping into a film or a TV series or a book or, or something like that. And so when you've got things like The Witcher 
or and you are seeing a massive uptick in the number of people playing The Witcher because they love the show and they're quite happy to drop into an amazing piece of, of sort of storytelling like that. And having most sort of PCs or, or any of the consoles run at a reasonable level that looks not far off from what Henry Cavill's portraying on screen is it's a really sort of small jump then for people to, to be able to do that, to be, have accessible technology there to, to be able to jump on board. And then at the same end, the people who will who would happily go and spend tens of thousands of dollars on a home theatre system so they can see and Avengers Endgame like is better than it would get in the, in the cinema, you are able to attract those people by having things like God of War, which looks better than any film I've seen, to be honest, like that. That's uh, amazing, that that level of activity. Or Spider-Man, the, the PS4 Spider-Man. So that's quite easily bringing one of the most popular pop, uh, pop culture icons around into an exact replica of what you would expect to see in a film or a comic. So as technology sort of moves on and, and improves, it lowers the barrier and, and requires less of a suspension of disbelief for non-gamers because there's, there's always, always has been, and I feel like there always will be a stigma against gaming and, and gamers. I mean, you only have to turn on a morning um, breakfast TV show to, to hear that at least once a week. But the, the more you break down that barrier and people look at things and go, I can't believe that's a game, then that's what brings more people into what is arguably the, the best entertainment medium. It's not just more powerful processors offering more impressive gaming experiences. The slow and steady rise of VR, for example, is offering those who can afford it uniquely immersive storytelling opportunities. Is this the future of storytelling in gaming? Guy Cocker thinks perhaps not. Well, at least not for the majority. If you haven't put a VR headset on for the first time you experience it, I think it's genuinely amazing and, and especially like a good VR headset. So, you know, something from, from Oculus or HTC, those high end ones that they, they, they really do transport you to a different world. And even if you don't play video games, you could then go and experience some of the world's best art galleries and museums. And it's, it's absolutely incredible. The downside of that though, is that a lot of this technology is, is still, it's either, it's either expensive or it's sort of counterintuitive to the way that we that we live today. The v, VR is interesting, but it, it it does take you out of the experiences that seem to be doing quite well today. So, for example, games like Fortnite and Minecraft, you can if you're into those games, you can play them on any device. You can play them on your mobile phone. You can play them on your two thousand pound PC and everything in between. You can play them on your getting your games console. And also, I, I feel like, again, this is anecdotal, so people can disagree with me here, but I feel like, especially with a younger generation, they are now used to multitasking. So they move from one media to another. So, they, so they, they play a game, they hit their friends up on WhatsApp, they talk to them through, through Xbox Live or whatever it is, or PlayStation um, Network. And so VR at the moment sort of just completely takes you out of, that, that experience you can't use social you can't flip around without having to take the headset off and that's what's great about vr because it, it does take you it does truly transport you to another world and and that can be great for things like video conferencing obviously facebook owns oculus so they want you to be to be socially networking but the the, the other side of it is that it's 
from my experience, I, I, I will caveat this by saying I haven't been lucky enough to play the latest Half-Life yet. Very much going to get that sorted as soon as, as soon as I can. But the, the experience of playing those games for something that's really good, like Half-Life, you do need a relatively powerful system to be able to do it. And, you know, PlayStation, PlayStation VR did relatively well. It's, it's, as far as I understand, it's still sort of the most popular VR headset for the home, as in not mobile-based. But it sort of does feel as though it's, it's, it's died out a little bit. And we might need a bit more time for the technology to catch up. And also, it's still quite, it's quite difficult within VR to, to, in terms of the control systems because... I think a lot of people do struggle with game controllers in general who are not who, who aren't gaming regularly, and just moving around the world in VR can be nauseating if you don't if you don't get it right, and you can end up bumping into stuff as well, of course. So I think there's there's more to more to go on on VR, but obviously that level of immersion could if it can be if it can be nailed and get it right technologically speaking. It's, it is it could be a real game changer for for story driven games where again it's something that video games that can do really that movies and books can't which is to actually really transport you into another world and i think that it will be it will be interesting to see where to see where that goes i just don't know where it's at yet um for me the the biggest thing that's happened in in games in the last year is 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 this xbox game pass so you pay it's a bit more expensive than netflix but it, it sort of varies but let's say 10 pound a month and I, and I think that that the idea of paying ten pounds a month and then getting games delivered to you episodically, I think is going to be great for for narrative narratively driven games because the problem the games industry has had for a long time is that at the top end you've got games like Call of Duty which are or FIFA which are fifty quid, and what happens because because I've worked in in video games journalism for a while, what happens is, is a, a user of Gamespot tends to buy maybe five or six games a year. So what they'll do is they'll get, if they're into football, they'll get FIFA, they'll get Core Duty. They, they're pretty much bought every year. And then they'll, there'll be four or so other games that they'll, they'll be interested in. They'll tend to be like Assassin's Creed or what else, maybe a Batman video game or some sort of Bloodborne, which is an, actually another amazing narrative-driven game, which we should talk about. But they, they won't have much room in their budget to, to take a chance on a game. So that means that games like, uh, say, Life is Strange, where it's a new concept with a you know, female protagonist, these are games that traditionally haven't performed that well. But when it, with a subscription service like Xbox Game Pass, people, I think, will take a chance on narratively driven games that they might not have done at 50 pounds. And I think we'll see more of those sorts of walking dead and life is strange, the way that those games are delivered coming down the pipe with, with Xbox game pass. And I have real, I think Xbox game pass is incredible value. I'm not sponsored by Xbox game pass, by the way. I just think it's, I think it's, it's the thing that's getting me more excited about the new Xbox console rather than the PlayStation console. Cause I think they've done such a good job with it in terms of making it a value proposition. I think that that will be interesting to see more interesting for me than VR right now is to see how games are going to be delivered in future in those sorts of bite-sized chunks and what that then means for narrative. Maybe hopefully people will be more willing to engage with games that are narratively driven rather than just buying Call of Duty because that they know what that is the you know, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch have a price point challenge in much of the world for being able to really embrace those platforms. And one of the reasons Riot has stayed focused on PC and a little bit mobile for now is those are universal. And you know, a kid in Vietnam has a cell phone and will be able to play a cell phone game. I feel like VR is a long way from being really universal. 
if we get really clever and figure out a way to tie it more into our phones, then I think that's a, you know, that's a decent avenue. Lenovo's ethos as a company is smarter technology for all. And, and that has been, I've, I've learned enough history about Lenovo since I started to, uh, to know that that's definitely been their goal since day one is that everyone should be able to have computing devices, like everyone, not, not just anyone who can afford it, but everyone. That, that's absolutely their goal. And that flows through into the Legion sort of gaming strategy and ethos in that our definite plan is to be for all gamers, not just for the hardcore games, not just for the top end of town. We make our systems specifically designed to be for people who have watched The Witcher and then want to go and play The Witcher and have never, never owned a computer before. We've, we make the technology so that it is absolutely powerful enough to do whatever's required, but not so powerful it becomes out of reach from a, a value perspective. And at the same time, particularly in the last couple of years, we've done a lot to change the look and feel of the Legion gaming devices for Lenovo so that they're a lot more minimalist. We, we've got, we've, they've been redesigned by a, uh, a Scandinavian uh, company from a, a brand sort of ID and, and the actual look of the devices. So they no longer look like a gaming PC. They don't look like you've pulled a transformer out of your backpack. They actually look like a, a device that you could happily sit in a boardroom or go to a lecture theater or sit in a cafe and it doesn't get a place with any of your other sort of outfits or, or gear or your business attire or anything like that. But as soon as that lecture or meeting is over, you can literally switch over and play anything you want. So the same device that I'm talking on to you right now and we've shared all of our emails on uh, is the same device that I was playing Call of Duty Warzone on earlier today. So that, that accessibility from a style standpoint as well as from a value standpoint, that's really important to us to make sure that when people see the, the sort of the next assassin's creed or and that's the massive new sort of viking storyline they can look and go well i need a computer to run that or i want to get i need a computer for home and, and for work and but also want to play games well i can do all of that on one device at a, at a reasonable rate so and and there'll be no issues in regards to performance amid these strange times and unprecedented uses of the word unprecedented Lots of industries have certainly struggled, but we've turned to games in huge numbers to either explore new worlds or as a means of social connection in a world where Zoom just doesn't cut it. I think it will drive a lot of innovation in the industry. I think hopefully gaming is really starting to diversify as more and more people are turning to it as a, as a pastime since a lot of the things they may do you know, going to the park and playing ball with their with their family or going out to dinner to a pub, those opportunities don't exist right now. And so you watch TV, you read a book, or you play games. There's, it's hard to come up with other things to do. I think a lot of us are also finding ourselves a lot of free time. Like I don't have the commute to work anymore. Um, and I can spend that time just plugging into my PlayStation. I just really hope that people start to see that it has become such an incredible source of escapism and social connectivity and bringing people together. You know, they're offering this source of hope and light in people's lives right now. Um, and my friends who have bought consoles for the first time, like I'm really happy that I now have a community because for, you know, I've, I've said oh, gaming for me has been a very solitary thing. 
and now some of my friends have got consoles I can like add them and we can play together and I've been recommending them these multiplayer games and I can spend more time with them through things that we both enjoy um which has just been really exciting and lovely I guess it's a nice thing to come out of all this horribleness <laughs> the gaming industry's response in general has been so heartwarming to see so you've seen a lot of companies giving away games for free to NHS and frontline workers to offer that kind of sense of escape, you know, when they get a break, if it, they can just take them away from everything for one moment. Sony's Play at Home initiative, where they're giving the entire Uncharted collection away and Journey, which is a beautiful meditative game that I think is really important for people right now. And I think a lot of places like, I think Rockstar and Bethesda are donating millions and millions of pounds and surgical masks and everything. And also supporting indie developers, because I feel like they're going to be really struck by this time. But in terms of seeing what it is happening directly around me, friends that have never picked up a controller in their lives have been ordering consoles, have been ordering Nintendo Switches especially, because Animal Crossing has been this insane cultural thing right now. And I even bought a Switch just to get Animal Crossing. I haven't had a Nintendo console since the DS Lite. So this was like, <laughs> I want to get in on that. Um, and my friend who's, you know, who's never played a game before bought a PS4. And she's been messaging me every other week like, oh my God, I just finished this game you recommended me. It's offering people an escape. And I feel like that's, it sounds really basic, but it really is. Even me with Assassin's Creed Odyssey right now, I love being able to go somewhere that's real. It's out there, like ancient, like Greece exists, but I can go there at another time in the comfort of my own home where I'm safe and with my family and I can just still explore. I think this industry, like many in the tech industry, are going to ans ask some really interesting questions about a distributed workforce in the future. We're, we're starting to say, like, right now, like, why do we have a campus? We're spending a lot of money on that campus that maybe we're proving we don't even need. I would say it's been almost, it's been remarkable to me how seamless it has been. I was expecting a ton of pain points as, you know, we're all, we're all at home working. Engineers are, are typing code, artists are, are painting pictures all at home very distributed. We have a pretty large company. Business is doing really well, which I say with some amount of survivor's guilt, because I know that's not the case for a lot of people right now. But when people are home with a lot of free time, you know, video games are something to gravitate towards. And in fact, we almost have had this challenge where we would love to give something back to the community. And we would love to be able to like, give them something. The problem is we have so many players right now that we have, you know, problems with login queues and server sizes. And so if we are too generous with, you know, we're going to end up just attracting more and more players, which is going to be, uh, you know, a subpar experience overall. So that's a really weird situation to be in where we would love to, to, to give away more things, but we, we can't actually handle a lot more crowd size right now. As Millicent mentioned, the game Animal Crossing has been a game which may come to define the COVID era and how we turn to creative play on virtual islands to help us escape the horrors of what was happening outside in the real world. I'm going to struggle slightly to explain what Animal Crossing is to, to, to if you've never played it. You basically, you, you, in it, you get a house and then you have to, you get a mortgage, you have to pay it off, but it's all done through these like cutesy animals and, and, the, and the characters are very compelling. But what's been interesting is that in that, that's really done well in lockdown because people have been able to go and visit their friends in this beautiful world. And they've been able to look at, I think it was paintings for, I think it was from the Louvre that were 
you know, made available in Animal Crossing. And I don't know if that would have been the case if it wasn't for lockdown. Maybe that was part of Nintendo's plan all along, and I don't realize it. But I feel as though they've done a lot more with that game because of because of lockdown, because of what people, how people are playing games at the moment. It, it, it's a game where it sort of encourages you to go and visit other people. And it's through the Switch, you can't, the, the amount of interaction you can have with other people is limited, but you can look at their gardens and sort of comment on the fruit that they're growing and, and, it's, and how well they're looking after their, their little towns. And there's something kind of, I think, quite comforting in that when you, for a, lot of, for a long time, you weren't able to really leave your house and go to the parks. And, and so that's, I think that's why it's done very well. Animal Crossing has really helped a lot of people. Maybe it was just lucky, but it's this weird timing for some of these games. I mean, you see it on Netflix with Tiger King. Gaming is storytelling. I mean, particularly when you, you can't go to the cinema and there's only so much time you can spend binging all the shows because you, you'll smash through them that gaming is, is something that people have had a stigma about for a long period of time. But it's exciting that these people are finding an appreciation for, for a medium that they wouldn't have had the time to dedicate to it. The more people get exposed to it, the more they normalise it, and then the less it becomes a problem for people to engage with. And gaming, if anything, is, is improved by, by volume because, again, it's those shared stories. So you'll come out of, out of this isolation and you'll have these people who have picked up The Witcher for the first time and they'll go into work and uh, go, man, I, I played this game. And then someone two cubicles over and go, oh, are you talking about like Witcher? And, and then you'll have these new water cooler conversations that otherwise would have been reserved for sort of how the, the F1 did on the weekend or, or sort of what happened in... Um, what happened in, I can't think of a, a current show, like Grey's Anatomy or something on the last show. So just the normalisation of it um, is really encouraging to me because this, it is so unique and, and there's no other way to tell the stories that, that happen through gaming. A huge thank you to Greg Street, Melison Thomas, Guy Cocker and Ben Williams. Stay safe, everyone.